Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture this morning is taken from the third chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 10. You may find this excerpt in your pew Bible on page 993. Let's first pray for wisdom. Gracious God, you have called us to be your people and claimed us as your own. Come to us now in this scripture and in your Holy Spirit that we would hear your voice and be reminded of all that you hope and dream for us and for this world, a world of beauty and brokenness. Amen. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked at, intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. So Jesus asked his followers, who, who do they say that I am? It wasn't, it wasn't a hard question. There were lots of responses, lots of answers. But then he said, but who do you say that I am? And that was harder. It was harder because it wasn't a question for information. To answer that question, you don't answer it with an idea or a concept. To answer that question, you answer it with your choices, with your lives. It's an answer that's enfleshed. So today we turn to Acts, and Acts is the story of God on the ground after Jesus had returned to God. And Luke tells us, Luke, who wrote the, the person who wrote the Gospel of Luke also wrote the book of Acts. 
And Luke tells us that Peter and John, they went to the temple to pray, and on their way they came upon a man who could not walk. This was common because when you come into the presence of God, particularly when you come into the one who has been crucified, well, we can't do it without seeing what's gone wrong in us and in the world. The Lord's sanctuary has never actually been a sanctuary from the hurt of the world. It all ends up in here sooner or later, both the brokenness in us and in the world in which we live. It's all waiting at the door. And if you're like me, sometimes you probably just wish we could leave it out there. Just create a little sanctuary, a little escape from it all. It's weighty. I grow weary of the crisis of the hour that shows up in the news feed. In Barbara Kingsolver's novel, The Poisonwood Bible, she tells a story of a missionary family, and it's also a commentary on how economic colonialism and the Christian missionary movement both conquered Africa in an effort to civilize the place and left, well, questionable results. Nathan Price is a fundamentalist missionary. He's an abusive father. He arrives in Africa with his family and a poundable Bible and vegetable seeds. His strategy is he's going to plant a garden to feed the village, win their trust so he can save their souls, but the plan doesn't work. The garden fails. He planted the seeds, and plants came up, sure enough, in the rich soil, but there were no vegetables, no produce. It confused him, but then one day he was standing in the middle of his fruitless garden with his daughter Leah, and he sees a bug crawling there. He lifts up the bug, and it dawned on him. He said it this way, Leah, there are no pollinators. She said, what? The insects. There are no insects here to pollinate the garden. She said, Daddy, there are bugs everywhere here. What are you talking about? African bugs, Leah, creatures fashioned by God for the purpose of serving African plants. But look at this thing. It has no pollinators. How would it know what to do with a Kentucky wonder bean? I thought of that this week when I read the article in the Journal of Science that said the bumblebee population in North America has decreased by 46%. Scientists say it's a consequence of climate change. Bumblebees are pretty important pollinators. It would change things were they to become an extinct species. And when I heard it, when I read it, I wish I hadn't read it. I wish I didn't know this truth of our world. I wish I'd had some sanctuary because it's a conversation that's just imprisoned with fear. Some are afraid that this the, afraid of the consequences this will bring to us as the planet warms. And some are afraid of the adjustments we might need to make and the consequences that will result from those adjustments. 
And so instead of reasoning together, we're just captured by our fear. Sometimes it gets fatiguing. I grow weary. I bet you do too. I bet you do too. And that's okay. But here's what I've learned about our God. We're not going to be able to claim sanctuary forever. For the God we worship, particularly the God of the crucified, somehow always brings the brokenness of in us and in the world into this place. It's waiting for us at the door. So, of course, when Peter and John go to pray, there's a lame man there by the door. He's always there by the door. And, of course, Peter and John stop, and they don't give him money, but they heal him in the name of Jesus Christ. He jumps up praising God. And as dramatic as this story is, this time I noticed something I hadn't really paid attention to. It's their conversation between the meeting and the jumping up. And it says, they looked intently at him. And then Peter says to the man, look at us. Look at us. Why? What is this man supposed to see in them? Look at us, he says. But what is he supposed to see? Mark Laberton is a evangelical pastor and seminary president in California, and he says one Sunday there was a young, young adult who came to his church and worship with them. He recognized that he was new. He thought he was new to their community of faith. So after worship, he struck up a conversation with him just to get to know him a bit, learned he was a grad student at the University of California. And he said, so what, what brings you to church? And he said, I don't know that I know. I, I'm just at a place in my life where I'm asking some questions of what I'm for and what's life about and I've found myself going to some churches and and you know you people in church you talk about Jesus and you talk about the world but I don't really know let me ask you a question he said if I if I hang around your church will I meet people who are like Jesus Mark said he didn't know how to respond right away. He said, you, you want to you meet people who are like Jesus. He said, well, isn't that what church is for? If someone were to ask you that question, if I hang around village, will I meet people who are like Jesus? What would you say? It was years ago now, I was invited to preach at a conference. It was one of those gatherings for, for a region, and people d drove from hours around, so they fly in preachers. You know, if you fly a preacher in from out of town, they're always better than the ones you know in real life. And after, <laughs> after I had preached a sermon, uh, a gentleman came up to me, and he didn't say anything at first. He just had this goofy smile on his face that sort of unnerved me. He just kept looking at me and smiling. And finally, he said, you don't remember me, do you? That's not my favorite way to start a conversation. 
I, I, I looked at him, and I tell you, people who start a conversation that way, they still go to heaven, but they're the least in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> I said, I, I'm, I'm sorry, you got to help me. And he said, oh, come on, you remember Dayton Hall. This is going from bad to worse. He's told me his name, and I still don't remember him. I said, I, I'm sorry, Dayton, help me. He said, Dayton, I'm not Dayton. We lived in Dayton Hall in college. <laughs> I didn't live in Dayton Hall ever. And I said, how can he confuse me? My name's in the bulletin. And then it dawned on me, I'm Junior. My dad's got the same name. He thinks I'm my dad. <laughs> Do I look 90 years old to you? <laughs> okay, to clarify for you, for some people in the prior services didn't understand this, this is a rhetorical question. <laughs> I said, oh, I, I, I'm sorry, sir. Um, you must be looking for my father. I apologize. He said, I drove three hours just to see Tom R. I said, sorry, it's Junior. He said, don't apologize. To tell you the truth, for the last hour and a half, I thought I was in the room with him, and it was pretty nice. There's a lot of my dad in me, and I'm grateful for that. But Jesus, I don't know if I've got as much of him in me. But if I understand the text, I think Peter assumed he was in Peter and John. I think that's what he says. Look at us. Look at us carefully. Not to see me. But look at us, and you will see Jesus in us. Luke's experience is that the power and love of the risen Christ showed up in the followers of Jesus. The very same love that had been known in the life of Jesus Christ showed up in the lives of those who followed him. When Jesus came upon a paralytic, he did exactly what Peter and John did. It'll happen time and again in the book of Acts. The disciples of Jesus will do what Jesus had done. It is so clear that one scholar says in the early church, the followers of Jesus repeated Jesus. I think that, that's what that young man was asking. If I hang around your church, will I meet people who are like Jesus? Yes. Not everybody. No one all the time. We're a mixed bag, to tell you the truth. But yes. But we fall sharp, short. Because the essence of Christ is a consistent, persistent, life-changing love. And I have seen that in you. I've experienced that in church. But I also know that we fall short. I hadn't been your pastor very long, and 
I was going somewhere. I don't remember where I was going, but I was, I was pushing the time, which is my custom. I was a little late, but I, I passed by an Ace Hardware, and I needed, I needed some bungee cords for something. And, and so I thought, well, I'm here. I'm going to slip in and get them and then, and then go. So I went in, and, and I found just what I was looking for, and I went up to the register. There's a long line, but I finally got up, and she went to scan the barcode thing, and the package that I'd picked up, it, it, it was torn. She couldn't, she couldn't read it. She said, I'm sorry, sir, you, got, you, you need to go get another package. And so, okay, okay. So I went back and I, I got another one. I came back and stood in line and, and got up to her and she said, oh my, this, this package is, is torn. I, I, you, not, I can tell not all of them are in here. You better go get another one. Oh, okay, so I, I go back. I get a package that's intact and the barcode is on. I can see and I go out, stand in line again. And, and then I, if she reads it and tells me how much it is and then the, the paper and the little machine that prints your receipt, she said, it, oh, the papers are now. I'll need to change that. This will only take a minute. She was a bit optimistic about that. And finally, she printed out the receipt, and with a big smile, she said, have a nice day. And I shouldn't tell you things like this. I shouldn't admit it. But, but I looked at her, and I said, I'll try with what's left of it. Then she said, see you Sunday. <laughs> Sometimes there's a gap between who we're supposed to be and who we end up being. I'm not like Jesus very much. But then sometimes we are. And I think what Luke is teaching us is we need to lean into that. We need to lean into that bold calling. And we're smart people. So what we choose to do is make it more reasonable to make that calling something we can manage. But I think what Luke is teaching us is that we need to lean into that calling to look like Jesus because the world is looking for him. And if it doesn't see, us, see him in us, where do we think they're going to find him? If I hung around your church, would I meet people who are like Jesus? Yeah, you would. Not perfect, not all the time, but yeah, you would, because truth be told, I don't know that I've ever seen him apart from the people in the church. I don't know that I've ever known him apart from the people of God, for it is among the people of God that I have known forgiveness and welcome that is genuine. It is among the people of God that I have known generosity and sacrificial love. It is among the people of God in this church that I have seen a bold hope and a desire to choose the high road when everyone around us is terrified. Yeah, you'll see people like Jesus. That probably makes you a little uncomfortable. Me too. Probably should. 
But Luke would want us to lean into that truth, to trust that the risen Christ will show up in this world even through us. And don't make that bold claim more manageable, more reasonable. If you've ever been married or choose to be married, it's one of the places in your life where you make some pretty big promises. You'll stand in the presence of God and surrounded by people who love you, and you will promise to be loving and faithful no matter what. Loving and faithful. Plenty want, joy, and sorrow, sickness, and health, no matter what. Loving and faithful. And we understand that confession of love to be a theological statement. It's not just a feeling. It's how we treat one another. And the Apostle Paul schools us on love. He says love is patient and kind. is not arrogant, boastful, or rude. Patient. It's the first one on the list. I wish you'd kind of buried it in the list somewhere. It's the <laughs> first one on the list because I've already admitted to you it's not, not my strong suit. So I suppose in the interest of full disclosure, I should have stood at my wedding and say, I promise to be loving and faithful, but, but in all honesty, I'm, I'm not always patient. There was this time of day's hardware and it didn't work out very well. And, so maybe we just exclude patience from the vow. No. It makes no sense. We know that we won't live up to it every day. We won't meet it every moment. But we're not who we are if we whittle it down to the status quo. We don't reduce love to something less than love. Faith is like that. So in the midst of this broken world that doubts that love can be trusted, the holy love of God, the God who made the stars and the bumblebees, the God who wept and bled on Calvary, the God whose love is still alive in this world, that, that holy love claims you by name and lives in you. So lean into that. Because they're folks who are looking for Jesus. And so if you trust that love, even if they don't know it, what they'll see is Jesus. They will. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.